Devora Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Okay, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our second class on Shemona Esrei. Thank you for joining me. And uh, hopefully all of our prayers will be answered as we learn how to really dove in with more Kavana and understand the words that we're saying. I just want to show you something cool. Last week, we talked about the idea that the source in the Torah for the first person to pray was Adam. Adam Harishon, the first human being. And we said that everything the Torah teaches us, that on the third day, God created the vegetation and everything. But on the sixth day, after Adam was created, that's when the vegetation that was beneath the surface of the earth sprouted. And it was only after Adam realized his total dependency on God for his literal survival that he prayed for rain and the rain came down and then everything that was under the ground or in other words everything that was there in potential became actualized and this is one of the fundamental fundamental ideas of prayer of connection with Hashem is that we make things happen through our tefillos we allow what is only in potential to become actualized. And there are two bases for the idea of prayer, what prayer is all about. One is the idea that Hashem creates us lacking, purposefully lacking, in order that we will cry out to Him and realize our total dependency on Him. And the other, of course, is that Hashem craves a relationship with us. And it is through the lack that we experience that we develop this relationship. Hashem loves to hear the prayers of tzaddikim, right? Many of our tzaddikim are those people who went through tremendous trials and tribulations. We know three out of the four imahot were unable to have children, and it was only through their prayers that they were able to actualize again what was there, but Hashem wanted the relationship to become deeper and more intensified by having them pray and create relationship with them. I don't know what this is called when we do this in Hebrew, and I hope everybody can see this. But if you see the word, you see the word Adam and Rain, Aleph, Dalit, Mem. Everybody see that? Um, can you see it? Is it coming up again? I think your microphone is blocked, Devorah. Oh, really? Just, just when you were holding the paper up in front of you. Is this any better? Yes. Okay, so you see Aleph Dalad Mem, which spells Adam, right? So I don't know what it's called, but just like we have gematria, numerology in, in uh, Jewish thought, we also have when you spell out the letters of the word. So you see the Aleph is Aleph, Lamed Fei, the Dalit is Dalit Taf, and the Mem, if you spell out the letter Mem, is Mem. Now take a look at what that word spells. Anybody see it? It spells the word mitpalel. So hidden within the name of Adam is the concept that Adam, what makes a human being human, 
is his connection and ability to bring down, so to speak, Hashem into the world and act, be a partner with Hashem in this world by actualizing what's just in potential. So that was just the first cool thing that I wanted to show you. Did you like that? Yeah? Good job. Okay. <clears throat> so this week, someone that I know shared a story with me about the power of prayer, and I just want to start by telling you this amazing story. I hope I get it right. Anyway, she um, was planning to go out the other day. She wanted to get out early in the morning, and it turned out that, you know, she was having one of those days where she didn't actually leave her house till about 3.30 in the afternoon. And it was at that point in time, after stopping at the first store, that she realized that she didn't have her wallet. And she obviously hadn't had her wallet all day, but she didn't know it until she left the house at 3.30 in the afternoon. Now, everything was in that wallet, a lot of cash, all of her credit cards, everything you need, your medical card, your uh, license, all of it. And of course, she was retracing her steps and she realized that the night before she'd been at a sushi place and that was the last place she was with her wallet. So she quickly called the restaurant and she told the boss there that she asked to speak to the boss and said that she'd lost her wallet if anybody find it. And he said, you know, we I, I was here last night, I cleaned up the place. Uh, nobody found it, nobody took it, we don't have it. So, you know, there was nowhere else that she was before that where she remembered having her wallet. And of course she figured, you know, if it fell out on the pavement in the parking lot, there's no way that it's there. So she basically did what every believing Jewish woman does. And that is that she went home, she put money in the pushka of Rabbi Meir Balhanes, which is a special Segula, a special, if you want, good luck charm that um, is especially potent for finding lost objects. <clears throat> so she put the money in the pushka and then she basically had a conversation with God. And this is a friend of mine who says Tehillim a lot, but you know, she went from the pushka and she opened up her Tehillim, her book of Psalms, and she started to dub it. And she was saying the Psalms, and before she even started, she said, you know what, why am I only praying for myself? You know, there's a lot of people who lose stuff. There's a lot of people who probably lost stuff today. I'm going to pray for everybody. Anybody, Hashem, who lost anything, help my tefillahs to help to make them find it. So she's saying a few Tehillim here and there, I mean, for, for a while. And then basically at the end of, of her Tehillim session, she says one more thing to Hashem. She says, you know, Hashem, I know that, you know, thank God it's my wallet. It could have been something worse. It could have been, God forbid, a human being that got hurt or somebody in the family that had some kind of tragedy. I know it's, it's, it's not big, big stuff. But for you, Hashem, you know, you can do anything. And the truth is, is it's going to be a real pain in the neck. I'm going to have to get new cards. I'm going to have to, you know what that's like, ladies. I'm going to have to cancel every, whatever. I'm just going to, it's going to be a lot that I have to get in order if this doesn't. So please, just please give it back to me. If you can do that, I'd really appreciate it. 
She said literally her hand was still on the Tehillim. There was a knock at the front door at that split second. She opened the door. Two policemen were standing at the front of her door with their masks on, of course, and holding in their hand was her wallet. They opened it up. She was wearing a hat. They looked at her picture. They said, yep, this is you. And nothing was missing. Not only was nothing missing, but you could see somebody had gone through it. The cards were rearranged. They weren't in the place where they were normally, but everything was in there. All of the cards, all of the money, everything. So there's so many things that we can learn from this story. One of the things that we actually learned from last week's Parsha is that when you daven for somebody else, for that which you need, and I'll read you the exact quote. <clears throat> it comes from Masachet Baba Kama. Rava said to Rabba Barmari, where is the source for the rabbinic statement that whoever requests mercy for another person and he himself is in need of the same thing that he is answered first? So there's a source in two places. One of them is an Eov, but the one that we're looking at is from last week's Parsha where it says, Avraham prayed to Hashem, and Hashem healed Avimelech and his wife and his maidservants. And right after that, it's written that the Almighty remembered Sarah as he had said. So in the last week's Torah portion, we have the juxtaposition of the story of Hashem, sorry, of Avraham praying for Avimelech and all of his household to be healed because they had been afflicted by God for having kidnapped Sarah. And directly after that, God tells Sarah she's going to have a child. And the Torah says these two are one after the other to tell us when we daven for others, Hashem answers us first. So that was one lesson. The other lesson, which you know has more to do with Bitachon, which is the class that I teach on Wednesday, was the idea that my friend said, you know, she didn't have anything invested in terms of the wallet coming back to her. She really just did her part. She made her efforts. Prayer was included in those efforts. She begged Hashem to give it back. She bartered with him, so to speak. But she was really, she said, she really let it go. She really put it on God. Whatever you decide. I'd really like this, but whatever you decide. And it was at that moment that the knock on the door came. Now, you know, a, a non-believing person would say, okay, you know, but maybe that was going to happen every, every, anyway, right? Even if she hadn't prayed, maybe, maybe that was going to happen. She was going to have good luck, right? It was going to be a miracle story. But when we pray and then the thing happens, obviously this develops us spiritually. We flex a spiritual muscle. Oh. I know I'm get in. Just plug in the number, okay? Yeah, type in the number and then 1072. And then uh, what's on that what's on that little flyer and then put in password 1072. Okay. 
The other piece of it, obviously, is bitachon. Uh, sorry, what I'm saying here is, yes, it could have happened anyway. But the point is, is when we invest in a relationship with Hashem, and then that happens, whether it's then, then obviously our relationship with Hashem is strengthened, right? It's like, it's not just haphazard. It's not just random. It's not like, hey, that was great, right? But it helps us to, it fuels us on our journey towards a more developed sense of the fact that God is involved in our lives every moment and that he wants to hear from us and that he wants to do for us. And it's true that sometimes the answer is no, but in this case, the answer was yes. And imagine the elation and euphoria that this friend of mine felt with her hand still on the Tehillim and the knock on that door. And her husband said something so interesting too. Think about this. He said, if you had gotten out in the morning at 10 when you wanted to, you would have discovered that you were missing your wallet five hours earlier, right? Six hours earlier. You would have canceled all your credit cards, right? After doing whatever you did, you would have been, an, you know, just upset in some way or another at the fact that you weren't able to find it. <clears throat> and everything in God's chesed and rachamim was shortened because you actually didn't get out of the house until 3.30. So everything took place in two hours instead of whatever, five or six hours. So, you know, even that perspective and understanding the kindness and the, the compassion that Hashem has on us, even if we have to go through some kind of difficulty. So I just want to read you a couple of ideas about prayer before we get back into the Shemona Esrei. So one idea is the idea that no star controls the destiny of Israel. Rather, it's through prayer and merit that a Jew changes his destiny. And that's by Rashi. <clears throat> Again, just a few parses ago, Hashem takes Avraham outside. And he tells Avraham, you're not like the rest of the nations. Look up. The stars that you see will be as many as the children that you will have. But the key idea here is he took him outside. And Rashi says he took him outside the world of Teva, the natural world, to explain to him that you, the Jewish people, are not under nature. You are above nature. Your survival is miraculous. And even your beginnings are going to be miraculous. A woman of 100 years old who obviously naturally cannot have children, we're told Sarah didn't even have a womb, is going to have a child. And this is going to be the reality of the Jewish people from the beginning until today, Ad Hayom Hazeb, that you will not follow the natural rules of nature, but rather, again, it's through prayer, through our incredible power of prayer, of connecting and communicating with Hashem, that a Jew can change his destiny. Prayer is man's weapon to defend himself in the struggle of life. Hashem is a reality, a fact of life. Now listen to this one. When a person is in danger, he should not rely on miracles, says the Talmud, but he may rely on prayer, for prayer is not considered a miracle. 
Another idea we were talking about last week, the idea that praying is reflexive, that before we stand in front of Hashem, we are supposed to judge ourselves. By the way, correction from last week, I said by mistake that they would prepare three hours before davening. They daven for three hours and then they'd, they'd uh, come down for three hours. Well, I don't know how you eat or drink or have a job or daven shacharis mincha and that way. So correction, it was one hour before, one hour of prayer and one hour after. So the number three was right, but that includes all of it. Still a pretty big lofty level for us to try and uh, aspire to. <clears throat> so the idea here is when one's character changes, then the divine decree against him changes accordingly. So when we stand up in front of Hashem and we've done our own introspection and self-examination, and we become a different person, so to speak, right? We've worked on our character. We've worked on our mito. We've worked on making Hashem the center of our world. We've worked on becoming less ego-centered and more God-centered. And that changes what Hashem wants to give us. That, has, that changes what we are now able to um, um, handle, so to speak, right? If you give a kid too much candy, he's going to eat it all at once. If you, you know, how many people's lives are destroyed when they win the lottery and they don't know how to use the money? So the idea is that Hashem wants to give us, but he wants to give us based on who we are and what we can handle. When we become a more elevated person, he may give us things that we, you know, may have wanted for years, but we weren't ready to have them. And now we are. So that's just another idea. So real humility is a feeling of total dependence on Hashem. The art of prayer requires that we let go of our inner stubbornness that cries out, I don't need God. I do it myself, as I said, like the two-year-old, right? Like the teenager. I do it myself. I don't need you. I can do it all myself. The Vilna Gaon, I'm sure you've all heard of the Vilna Gaon. He said, the essence of prayer and sacrifice are the same to subdue our insufferable arrogance and towering pride. Okay. So, first thing I wanted to talk about, and we are going to get into more into the Shemona Esrei. Last week we started with the very first idea, which is that you're supposed to connect Geula, what we read before the Shemona Esrei, the Geula, the redemption of the Jewish people from Mitzrayim, to your own personal geula, which comes through davening the Shemona Esrei. So we take three steps back, and then we take three steps forward just after we say, Baruch Atah Hashem Ga'al Yisrael, and that's when we begin davening, right? And we say the first line, which was, Hashem Svasai Tiftach Ufiyagiti Latecha, that Hashem, we need you to open up our lips so that we can declare your praises. And we spoke about the fact that this Pasuk comes from Tehillim, from David HaMelech, specifically after he sinned with Batsheva. And he is the one who is teaching us that it doesn't matter how far or how distant you feel from Hashem, no matter what you've done, the relationship is always intact. Hashem, like every parent, is always waiting for their child to return 
and to create this close connection. Okay, so one of the things I wanted to talk about today was why do we need to pray from a sitter? Why can't we just use our own words? So part of this is um, historical. The Avot, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. There's a machloket in the Gemara, who started prayer? Who was the, where does the origin of prayer come from? So one side says that it was from the Avot, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And of course, this is sourced in the Torah itself. We know that Avraham instituted the Shachari prayer. It says in the Torah, Avraham got up early in the morning to the place where he had stood. And standing, that's why the Shimona Esrei is also called the Amidah. It comes from this source called standing, right? Means only prayer. By the way, just to understand why do Jewish people stand when we pray? We know that in other religions, they kneel, they bow constantly through the entire prayer. But we say that, first of all, man was created upright. Man is the only one of the mammals who wasn't created on fours looking down at the ground. But we have the ability to look up. I was thinking, is there any other mammal? Well, I know giraffes eat leaves from the trees, right? So I guess they look up too. And of course, there are animals that are able to look up. But it's not a natural posture that an animal takes the way a human being can so easily, okay? The other idea is that we have our heads on the top of our bodies. And Hashem wants us to stand upright with our brains at the top of our body, which is one of the key ways that we connect to God in a way that is different, right? That is a expression of our free will that is different than the animals. Also, obviously, an upright being, when it bows down, it's making a much stronger declaration of submission than one that's always bowed, okay? Okay, so Abraham, Amida. He stood, and the word stood, standing, means only prayer. Then we have Yitzchak in this week's Parsha. He gave us the afternoon tefillah, Mincha. Just to mention, Mincha is always considered the hardest tefillah to daven because it comes right in the middle of the day, right? It's always a tefillah that, whoops, I missed Mincha. Whoops, I got busy, right? Oh, no. And, you know, Yitzhak is always representative of the midah of gevura, of strength, of limitation, of boundaries. So Mincha always comes to challenge us in that midah of gevura. But we're going to talk about more about that later. So here it says Yitzhak instituted the afternoon tefillah. Yitzhak went out to speak in the field before evening. And the word speaking is the word sicha. So he introduced this idea of conversation of speaking with Hashem, of Sicha. Pours out his speech before God. And finally, Yaakov instituted the evening prayer. As it says, Vayifka, Vamakom, he lighted upon the place. Pigia is another word for prayer.
So the source of prayer comes from the Avot, and yet the Machloka tells us that, that the source for prayer also comes from the sacrifices that we gave in the Mishkan and later on in the Temple. And there's a Machloka between the different opinions, but the end product is they agree that both were the origin of prayer, meaning the Avot gave us the idea of conversing with God, and the sacrifices, which had a certain limit in terms of time of when they could be brought, helped to designate how long you can David Shacharit for, when Mincha begins and is over, and when Ma'arid begins. So both are the sources of prayer. And of course, bringing korbano, bringing uh, uh, sacrifices was also obviously behind the sacrifices was the idea of us sacrificing our ego, submitting ourselves to Hashem. So this all really goes together in terms of the kind of posture and emotion that we're supposed to bring to prayer in terms of our kavana. Okay, but why use the sitter? Back to that question. Why use the sitter? Why can't we just pray in our own words? After all, the avot prayed in their own words. Well, I don't know about you, but until I have my morning coffee, I can't even think. So imagine if every morning you had to just come up with your own prayers every single day. It's not that simple. It's not that easy. Um, you know, our minds are groggy, but even historically, the Jewish people had been exiled from the land of, of Israel. It was after the destruction of the first temple, and we had been exiled to Babel, that the Anshe Knesset HaGadola, the members of the great assembly, the great judges and leaders of the Jewish people, 120 of them got together and formalized prayer. Now, believe it or not, there were many people by this point in Jewish history that didn't even know Hebrew. They'd been living in Persia. They'd forgotten the language, let alone the holy tradition of prayer that had come through the Avot. So the Anshe Knesset HaGadola had to make a tefillah that would fit, not only for their generation, but for all generations. Now we know that the Shemona Esri is called the Shemona Esri because there's 18 blessings. But actually that's not true because a 19th blessing was added during the time of the Christians, the Roman time when uh, Christians, the Christian religion was becoming very strong. The Christians used to, the early Christians would inform on the Jews and were making life horrific for them. And so this 19th bracha of the Lamal Shinim, talking about getting rid of the heretics and the people who are against us, um, was added. But originally it was called the Shemona Esrei. And it's divided into three brachas of praise at the beginning, three brachas of thanks at the end, so every tefillah of Shemona Esrei always begins and ends the same way. Now the middle changes depending on whether it's Yantiv or Shabbos, but in terms of the daily Shemona Esrei, which is what we are looking at, that always remains the same. And there are 12 requests. Now, um, the Maharal tells us that there are 18 vertebrae in the back of a human being. And those 12 brachas of request literally are the parts of the vertebrae 
that are the ribs and surround the body. Okay? So it says that from the time of Matantara to the time of the first destruction, people said their own tefillah, tefillot, their own prayers. However, they began having a difficult time connecting with Hashem. So Ezra HaSofer decided to make a tefillah for all. And every letter of the Shemona Esrei, and the deeper we would delve into this, uh, we, were, we can see that every letter of the Shemona Esrei was written with Ruach HaKodesh, with divine inspiration. We'll, we'll, we'll see this in a few different places when we get into it. Um, also, it's very interesting that we have a uh, tradition that the last bracha in every bracha of Shmona Esrei was said by the malachim, by the angels. And it was, they said it in reference to a certain event or episode that happened. So we're going to see that too as we go through the Shmona Esrei. Now you think that praying with your own words would be superior to a script. But the words of the sitter are compared to a modem. We don't understand how a modem works, but when we click on send, right, it does the job. We don't know how it works. We don't know, I mean, unless you're a real computer geek, you don't really know how these things work. But the idea is that the Shemona Esrei is like the modem. When you say these words that have been said for thousands and thousands and thousands of years by Jews going back to the time of the Horban, and you direct your heart and your mind to the Kodesh Kadoshim that we spoke about in the first class, and your Kavana and your heart up to Hashem, then you just press click, and your prayers go straight up, and Hashem receives them. We send up, and Hashem sends down. We are responsible for what goes up must come down. Everybody remember that song, Spinning Wheel, <laughs> right? What goes up must come down. And that's the, that's the power of the human being. We send the prayer up like Adam Harishon did, and the rain falls down. So we control the switch. We control the tap of how much bracha is going to flow out of it. Wow, that's a lot of power. Okay. Um, so the Anshe Knesset Gedola constructed the circuity and the machinery that carries our prayers to Hashem. We also know another thing about prayer is that we daven in the plural. And of course, I've said this before that first of all, we want Hashem to look at us all together as part of the Jewish people because there's greater strength in number. And of course, when we combine all of our mitzvot, all of our deeds together, the righteous are pulling us up. And just a cute thing, if you've never heard this before, but the word for tzibor, which is the word for congregation in Hebrew, has its, the shorish is tzadik bet reish. In other words, the tzibor is made up of tzaddikim, 
Benonim and Rishaim. We want Hashem to see us all together like the Lulav and the Esrom, so that we're pulled up by praying in the plural. Also, just an interesting little piece of trivia. Everybody knows the word Davin, right? We use this word Davin. Well, da, where does that word come from? So the word Davin is actually an Aramaic word. It's the word Davuhan, which means from our fathers. You have the, it's a D um, apostrophe, A-V-U-H-O-N, of. It's from our fathers. The source of our tefillahs comes from our fathers. And just in the merit of Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who was nifter just a couple weeks ago, one of my good friends lent me his book a few weeks ago, and I've been reading it on Shabbos. And actually this week he talks a lot about the source of prayer based on the episode with Yitzchak and Rivka. Um, but at the end he says something beautiful, which I'll just um, read to you quickly. He says, you know, the words we use are not our own, but those of thousands of years of our people's history, distilling the response to innumerable encounters with God. Prayer is like a Bluetooth, a Bluetooth connection. And while it lasts, we become a channel through which flows the energy of the universe and Jewish history, the force of creation and the drive towards redemption. While it lasts, we make those energies our own. And that is prayer. That is Sicha. Okay. So the Avot, the Avot, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov are also called the divine chariot. If you've ever heard this Kabbalistic idea, but it's really a very simple idea that they were the three pillars of the Jewish people. They were the three who began the whole tradition of the idea of bringing God down into the earth. So they are, so to speak, this divine chariot on which God rests. Because it's through them that Hashem's presence descended to the earth. Okay, so let's look at the Shimon Asrei for anybody who has their Sidur in front of them. It's good to have a sitter in front of you. So we said that the first of the three blessings are called blessings of Shevach, of praise. So why do we begin the Shimon Asrei with praise? Why do we need to praise Hashem? My kids, when they were little, used to say, he's so arrogant. <laughs> why does he, why do we have to say how great he is all the time? You're so great. You're so great. You're so great. What, like, does he have a self-esteem issue? What's going on here? I'm sorry. I don't mean to be, you know, uh, irreverent, but, you know, out of the mouths of babes, right? They just say it like it is, you know? And, you know, the idea, obviously, is that, you know, as my rabbits used to say, God doesn't get a feather in his cap, you know, because you little ants tell him how great he is, right? I mean, if a little ant that you could squish with your foot tells you how incredibly wonderful you are, and that's where your self-esteem comes from, you got problems, right? But the point is this, 
that we praise Hashem for us. We need to know who it is that we're talking to. Before we can even begin to daven, know before whom you stand. I don't know, I was listening to the radio yesterday on the, in the car, just, I don't usually, and they were interviewing some professor, doctor from McGill, and he was talking about something new that they discovered in the universe. And I didn't understand a word of it. It was all Chinese to me. But, you know, for 20 minutes, they were discussing this thing in the universe that nobody knew about, and now they know about it. And anyway, basically, I was just saying to myself, that star or that hole or that galaxy, right, which fascinates the intelligence of man's mind is so minute and tiny, but emphasizes the incredible grandeur of God that we cannot even begin to understand, right? So to know who you're speaking to, so we need to praise him for ourselves because we need to know who it is that we are about to request from. When we understand that God can give us anything we want, that God is above time, that God is our sugar daddy in the sky, that God loves us, who God is and who he was the God of in this first bracha that we're going to find out, then we can open up our mouths and pray properly. But the first thing is to know who you're speaking to. You speak differently to a child than you do to a parent. You speak differently to your boss than you do to your friend. So when you know who you're speaking to, right? If you're in front of the Queen of England or, you know, somebody that you revere and admire, you think very carefully before you utter a word. You prepare yourself. You've only got a certain amount of time with this person. You want to get the message across. You want to be as succinct as possible. You want to be as intentional, as real. You've got a few requests that you need. You want to make sure they're understood. So you have to know who you're talking to. That's rule number one. It says in Mishle, you know a person by how, by, by how he is praised. But there's a little bit of a tight on this. Rabbeinu Yonah says, no, it's not only that you know a person by how he is praised by others. You know a person by what he praises. Okay? For example, you know, one person goes to a wedding, a simcha, and all they can talk about when they come home is the food right? The food was great. The food was lousy. Did you taste that? Did you have that? That was incredible, right? Okay, listen, we're all human, you know, like it's important. But then you might have somebody else who goes and said, wow, did you see the bubby? Did you see how aristocratic she was? Did you see the cupboard that her grandchildren and children give her? Did you see how they let the older people into the circle before the young people burst in there to dance with the chassan and kala. You know, whatever it is, did you see how edel the kala was, how refined, how beautiful? You know a person by what he praises. When you praise Hashem, it means you adore him. You admire him. You want to be like him. The one you praise is usually the one that you admire. 
So that's why it's not that we begin with praise to butter Hashem up, right? If I tell you how great you are, Hashem, maybe you'll give me what I want. Maybe you'll give me what I need. But rather, and the source for praising Hashem is also in the Gemara. It says here in Masachet Brachot, page 32a, Rav Simlai explained that a person should always begin with praises of the Almighty and only afterwards pray for what he wants, right? It's proper etiquette that first you need to know, but again, first you need to know who you're talking to and then you can ask for what you want. And the source for this is in Devarim, chapter 3. I'm not going to read you the source. But basically, it's, it's, sorry, it's Moshe who is saying to Hashem, My Lord God, you've begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what power is there in the heaven or on the earth that can perform according to your deeds and according to your mighty acts? So first Moshe says this to Hashem, and only afterwards does he say, Let me now cross and see the good land. We know that Moshe at the end of his life was not able to go with the Jewish people into the land. And so here is the source for where he first praises God. And then he afterwards asks him to please let him go into the land. And we know, of course, that Hashem's answer in this case was no. Okay. So we're going to begin the first prayer, which is called Avot. You can see in your sitter that it says Avot. And like all prayers, it begins Baruch Atah Hashem. Now most prayers begin Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, right? Shmona Esrei is different. We don't have Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. Rather, we begin by invoking immediately the power and the merit of our Avo, Avraham Yitzchak and Yaakov. So, Baruch Hashem Elokeinu Velokei Avotenu. So let's just look at that for a minute, okay? So first of all, the word Baruch. We begin with Baruch, which is a word that comes from the, from the word Brecha. A Brecha is a spring. And the word Baruch, which we usually translate as blessed, really what it means is brecha, that your blessings, God, should gush, should flow over like a spring that's constantly bubbling. The word Baruch also comes from the word Berach, which means your knee. Because it's at this point that we bend our knee in submission. I don't remember where I wrote this. I want to say that. Well, if I find it, but just in general, we should, you should know that um, we bend our knees for Baruch at different times in the Shemona Esrei. Now, the more important the person was, the more they needed to bend themselves down into submission to God. So a Kohen, for example, would bow at every single bracha in the Shemona Esrei, at the beginning of the bracha and at the end. 
a, 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 a king, King David, for example, would remain bowed through the entire Shemona Esrei. So obviously the lesson is the greater the potential for arrogance because of one's power and position, the more necessary it was to recognize your smallness and humble yourself before the master of the universe, before the king of all kings. So we bend our knee. In other words, we diminish ourselves to allow space and place for God in our lives. Because the point of God is to become God-centered. Sorry, the point of prayer is to become less me-centered and more God-centered. Or as the Kutzker Rebbe said, I pray to God to remember that I am not God. <laughs> he always said such good stuff. I pray to God to remember that I am not God. Okay? So Baruch Atah Hashem, you know, in the, in the translation says, blessed are you Hashem, as if we are blessing God. Which of course, can we bless God? We need God's blessing. So Baruch Hashem, we're really saying, you Hashem are the source of all Baruch, of all Brecha, of all blessing. Now actually, there is an interesting idea here in the Talmud. It says on this idea of do we bless God, that there was actually a rabbi that God himself asked, his name was Rabbi Yishmael Abuhal, God asked this rabbi to bless him. God asked this rabbi for a blessing. And the blessing that this rabbi gave God, gave Hashem, was may your attribute of mercy overpower your attribute of justice. Right? Sounds good. Sounds like a good one. Okay. Baruch Atah Hashem. So even those first three words, Atah. Atah is a very personal way of saying you. It's not in the third person. It's not thou. It's not like in French we have, you're not supposed to use the word tu when you're talking to a parent or a teacher. You're supposed to use the word vous, right? For all you French Canadians, any French Canadian, for all you Canadians who never spoke French in Toronto, but you had to take it in school forever and ever, right? <laughs> Except if you need to read the cereal box, you know, but like, when do you need it? But you know, it's important to understand that here we are, we're talking to Hashem in the two, in the very personal, not with the kavodikavu. So God is saying, I want you to feel close to me. I want you to feel like I'm your confidant, I'm your friend, I'm your therapist, I'm here to help you, I want to listen to you. Baruch Atah Hashem, and of course the name for God, Yud Kevavke, means he was he is and he will always be right whenever we say that name that is what we are supposed to have kavana in if that is one thing that you can do when you say that name even once a week to think Hashem, he was he is and he will always be the other idea of the word hashem is that he's master of all adon by the way, Avraham was the first one to call Hashem Adon. Okay. Back to Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Just interestingly, 
there are 13 letters in the, in the three names, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. There are 13 letters in the names Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. There are 13 letters in the, in the word Echad. Sorry, the, the gematria of Echad is 13. Um, and Veloke Avotenu, Eloke Abraham, Eloke Yitzchak, Eloke Yaakov, those three Elokes, Eloke, Eloke, the Eloke, are also 13 letters. Okay, just for a little bit of gematria here. And of course, Hashem's name, Yud Ke Vav Ke, which we're talking about, he was, he is, and he will always be, um, are, is 26 letters, which is obviously the names of the Avot, uh, sorry, the numbers of the Avot and the Imahot, 13 and 13, 26. Another beautiful idea, if you've ever, never heard this, which I always have to share because I love it, is we're called B'nai Yisrael. We are the children of Israel. And in the word Israel, Yisrael, are the names of all the Avot and Imahot. The Yud stands for Yitzchak and Yaakov. The Shin is for Sarah. The Reish is for Rivka and Rachel. The Aleph is for Avraham. And the Lamed is for Leah. So again, we rest upon the shoulders of these great patriarchs and matriarchs. And we are invoking their name at the very beginning of the Shona Esrei. Baruch Atah Hashem. He was, he is, and he will always be. I always tell a story in Manhattan Beach when I lived in Brooklyn. Hi, Gail. When I lived in Brooklyn, I used to teach a Hebrew school to Russians. And uh, once there was a Russian mother, I don't know, I guess I was teaching some Russian women. And I mentioned that when you say Hashem's name, he was, he is, and he will always be. That's what you should think of. And she gasped. She was like, <gasps> I was like, what? She said, that's what they taught us to think in Russia every time we mentioned the name Lenin. We're supposed to think he was, he is, and he will always be. So it just shows you how the tyrants and dictators of the world were basically replacing God, right? In these atheistic and communistic and whatever, wicked countries, you know, Hitler himself said, you know, that uh, he needed to get rid of the Jewish people because they are, represent the conscience of the soul, right? Hitler said, Yemach Shemo, that the Jewish people have committed two wounds on mankind. Number one is circumcision on the body and conscience of the soul. Again, he wanted a godless society where he would replace God. Okay, so... Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu, He's our God. He's our God. He's not distant. He's very personal. He's our God. Eloke Avraham, the God of Avraham. Eloke Yitzchak, the God of Yitzchak. Ve Eloke Yaakov, and the God of Yaakov. Okay, so I, I don't know where I heard this, but I just love this idea, and I think it's very important, each one of us, for our own personal growth. And that is the idea, um, and again, I'm not sure where I heard it, that why does the uh, davening say, Eloke Avraham, Eloke Yitzchak, Eloke Yaakov? Why couldn't it just say, Eloke Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov? He, what, this is the God of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Why does each of the forefathers 
There's only three. Just kidding. Why did each of the forefathers um, have to have the name of God in front of their name? So, you know, on a very simple level, it's like, you know, let's say, you know, Yitzchak. Somebody comes to Yitzchak and they say to Yitzchak, do you believe in God? And Yitzchak says, what are you talking about? Do I believe in God? Do you know who my father was? My father was Avraham. Hello? Like Avraham? Like, you know, like he taught the entire world at that time to get rid of their idols, to believe in one God, to recognize monotheism. Like, of course I believe in God. No, not necessarily. Or Yaakov, what do you mean? Do I believe in God? Do you know who my Zadie was? Do you know who my father was? Do you know about him? you know what happened? He almost gave up his life for God. What are you asking me if I believe in God? The idea is just because you come from a long line of believers, you need to make it your own. It's not something that you just inherit and you do it the same way your parents did it. You are not your parents. You live in a completely different generation. Your life experiences are completely different than theirs were. Your personality and medo, your negatives and positives are completely unique. You need to forge your own path and take ownership of your own relationship with Hashem. I don't do it because my mommy and my bubby and my great bubby before her did it. Yes, thank God, I do it because of them. And they pass this baton on to me. But for it to be real, for it to be mine, for me to own it, I have to make it mine. And it's so interesting from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, I can't remember where I saw it, but again, such a twist on things, which he had the incredible ability, his neshama should have an aliyah, to just twist things into a whole new way of looking. He said, Avraham Avinu was considered the greatest parent, right? God says about Avraham, I love Avraham because he's going to teach his children. He's going to teach his children after him. And like my husband was saying, I think last Shabbos, you know, he made thousands of converts. God didn't say, I love him because he brought so many people to Torah. He brought so many people to monotheism, right? He was a great guy. He did so much tzedakah. Yeah, his kids didn't turn out so well. But, you know, the, the, the bottom line was that I love Avraham because he's going to teach his children to continue in my way. And yet Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says, isn't it absurd? Avraham was the guy who left his old father Terach behind, right? Cut off the whole way that Terach was raising him. Terach was raising him to be an idol worshiper. Avraham leaves him, so to speak. And then with his own son, he's about to, he's ready to kill him. Right? To do Hashem's word, whatever, he's ready to sever that whole lineage. And what Rabbi Sachs says, and it's the same idea that I'm telling you right now, is the idea of parenting is not, not that your children should become a carbon copy of you. Everybody in my family becomes a doctor. You have to be a doctor in this family. You have to be a lawyer in this family. Chas v'shalom, you should be a construction worker. Right? The point is, is... Avraham taught us about parenting because of the way you see the links before him and after him that each one had to forge. The idea is that it's not just a given that just because, you know, you're a certain way, your kids will be a certain way. 
or because our parents were great and holy people, we're going to be that way. In every generation, we have our own challenges. Eloke Abraham, Eloke Yitzchak, Eloke Yaakov. Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov were three different people. They had three different ways of communing with God. Back to the beginning, Abraham was Shacharis with a whole different word for prayer, Amida. Yitzchak was Sicha with God in the field, and that also has relevance where they first prayed with God. And Yaakov was Pigiah, he sort of speak just bumped into God on his way back home, sorry, on, on his way to Lavan's house. And he met God on a mountain, right, which is representative of Bayat, where the Beit HaMikdash was going to be built. So each one had his own path based on his Midot. And we know, right, the Torah stands on three things. Torah, Avoda, Milut Chasadim. Torah is Yaakov, Avoda is Yitzchak, Avraham is Chesed. Each one had his unique personality, his unique way of expressing himself, his unique way of manifesting his relationship with Hashem. We started a little late. I don't know what, if you want to go on for another five minutes or not. Yes? Five more minutes? Okay. Devorah, I have to leave. Is this being recorded? Yes, it's recorded. Okay, great. And where do we find it? How do we access it? You know what? I'll let you know. You just go to my podcast, um, Accessing Your Best Self with Devorah Vale. Okay? Thank you. It should be out there. Accessing okay. Your Best Self. Right. And, there, and, and it'll be there. Okay. Um, so... So again, Abraham, everybody knows, we all came home from kindergarten with a tent with four doors, right? Abraham represents chesed. Chesed always represents love of Hashem. It's the easiest of all of the midot to attain, right? Chesed is always external. It's outgoing, right? Abraham Avinu taught us chesed. In last week's parsha, we have the angels, the malachim coming to visit him. And the Lashon is very interesting. It says that when they came, they stood over Avraham. And when he, in a few psukim later, he begins to serve, he leaves Hashem's presence to go and bring them food and take care of their physical needs, even though the Torah talks about were they even physical beings, all of a sudden the Lashon changes and now it says that Avraham is standing over them, meaning Avraham is now higher than the angels through this mitzvah of chesed, of achnasas orchim, he's become greater than an angel. Because as we've said before, human beings are greater than malachim because we have free will. We have the choice. We're not just good robots. We don't just do what we're told the way angels do. We can say, I'm too lazy. I don't feel like serving you. Go somewhere else, right? Here, have a cup of water. I'm busy, right? Or we can emulate Avram Avinu, who was higher than the angels once he did this act of chesed. The whole world stands on chesed. Chesed olamo yibane, Hashem created the world with chesed. The, the Torah begins with chesed. God clothes Adam and Chava after they do the sin. The last act in the Torah is God burying Moshe, right? Chesed shall emet. 
the truest kind of chesed. The Torah itself is permeated with chesed. This is Elokei Avraham, right? It says in the Talmud, if a person claims to be Jewish and they lack this midah of chesed, you should check out their yichus. There must be something wrong because it's so ingrained in our DNA. This is Avram. These are also considered correspond to the positive mitzvot, the do mitzvot. Do this, do that, do this, do that. Then we have Yitzchak. Yitzchak is the complete and extreme opposite of Chesed. He's called Gevura. Gevura is the ability to make boundaries, discipline, to restrain yourself to keep quiet, to do that which goes against your ego, to submit and surrender, to sacrifice. It takes tremendous control. It's the negative mitzvah. It's the don't do's. It's the making space for other people. It's allowing yourself to put yourself second in those situations where that's what it needs to happen. Okay? And of course, Yaakov, the Elokei Yaakov. Yaakov is truth. Yaakov is the perfect synthesis. He was considered the most perfect, so to speak, of all the Avot. His face, we're told, is on the Kisei HaKavod, on the on the throne on which God sits because Yaakov was the combination of chesed and gevura in its perfect balance when to give when to retreat when to say enough when to overflow and that's called truth emet and that's called beauty beauty is the harmony of when Two opposing forces come together and create something balanced, something beautiful, right? When it comes to parenting, we need chesed and we need gevura. We need both to raise good children, right? The famous pasu that talks about parenting is you're supposed to push away the child with your left hand, the weaker hand, the hand of gevura. Right? Teach the child there's a difference between me, the parent, and you. I have to raise you. I have to discipline you. And you're supposed to draw the child close with your right hand, with the hand of love, with the hand of chesed. And actually, there's a beautiful idea that if you're pushing with your left hand gently away and you're drawing close with your right hand in a stronger way, what you're actually doing is turning the child. You're turning the child and sending them on their path, right? Their specific and unique path in their avoted Hashem. And that's our, you know, incredible responsibility as parents. And it's not easy, right? Because, by the way, all of us are naturally born in our home air with being really heavy on the chesed part or being a little bit heavier on the Gevura part, okay? Some of us are Chesed type of people, and some of us are more Gevura. Now, the Chesed people get a lot of praise in this world, right? Because they're the ones out there running the bake sales, 
and running the organizations and baking chicken soup for everybody on the block. And everybody says, wow, you're such a tzaddikas, you're so amazing, you're so great, you're so wonderful, right? But the Gevura person, you know, could be struggling to get up in the morning, right? And, you know, they did well if they, uh, you know, got their kids off to school and, you know, their hair is brushed, whatever it is, okay? The point is, is that everybody's saying, nebuch, 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 right? But as Dina Schoomaker says, you know, they might go to heaven and win the Parent of the Year Award, right? Because we don't know what the Gevura person may be struggling with and how much they have to, you know, work on their Gevura to be able to do what they do in a day. That doesn't get a lot of accolades and awards at the Beis Yaakov dinner, right? But it's very important to realize that we're all a combination of both Chesed and Gevura, but we're naturally one or the other. And whatever area it is that we are imbalanced in, that's the area that we have to work in to become like Yaakov, Emmet, right? Truth. Yaakov's the only one of the Avot that had 12 perfect children, meaning there was no child that was sent away and not part of what was going to be the future of the Jewish people. Avraham had a Yishmael, Yitzchak had an Esav, and only Yaakov, who represents truth, had 12 children who all went the Derech Hashem, the 12 tribes, right? So one last idea before we go. God always tests us in the area of our weakness. Avraham, who was an Ish Chesed, how was he tested? God tells him to send away his kid. What do you mean? Yishmael, I love him, right? When God tells him to take his son up to the mountain, he says, which one? I got two sons, the one you love. I love them both. And God tells him to send him away. Avram has to do this incredible act of Gevura, which goes against his natural chesed, right? Yaakov is Ish Emet. He's the truthful one, and he has to lie. He has to lie in order to get to the truth, so to speak, in order to be able to continue the Jewish people. It went against his nature. Yitzchak, I always forget what Yitzchak's test was, but Yitzchak was Gevura, and obviously he was tested in Gevura, that he went up to the Akeda, he could have run away, he could have not submitted himself, he could have not been what we call an Ola Tamima, a pure offering, but he was able to allow himself to be put in that situation. Anyway, this is the idea that God always tests us in the area of our strength or of our weakness, because either we're meant to make our strengths even stronger the way Yitzchak did, right? When we make our strengths even greater, we're naturally something and we, and we, um, you know, we, we, we get the most, we, we, we uh, exploit them, so to exploit that mita that we're already good in by doing many, many mitzvot with it. That's one way of growing spiritually. And the other way is to be tested in those areas where it's not our natural way of being. But God will test us there in order for us to become more balanced, right? You're the type of person who loves to give, give, give. And God is saying, you know, you give too much, you spoil the child, right? You need to hold back. You need to restrict. 
not from a place of anger. Chesed, if left to its own, Chesed, kindness, if not balanced by Gevura, can turn into decadence. It can turn into complete pleasure-seeking and overindulgence. Everybody understands this. Gevura, if left to its own devices and its extreme discipline, restraint, can turn into cruelty, can turn into impatience. How can you not get this? What's wrong with you? Right? Cruelty, impatience, coldness, calculatingness. So both Midot, Chesed and Gevura, have their dangers when taken to an extreme. And that's why the proper balance, the proper synthesis of Chesed and Gevura is truth, is Yaakov, is Emma, is beauty. And it's, a, it's something that we all work on our whole life to get that kind of balance. Okay, ladies, thank you so much for staying with me for the extra few minutes. And have a wonderful week. And this is a great day to clean out your basement, if that's something that was on your list for the last three months. Catch up on your bills. <laughs> and your bills, right. Yeah, and thank you say, so much. By the way, I right. want to thank Gail Weiss, for those of you who aren't on the Wednesday class, but Gail from New York, an old friend and congregant from our rabbi days in New York, um, is sponsoring our month of learning in, um, for the month of Keyslave in the merit of her parents. Her dear father and mother, both Holocaust survivors, right, Gail? Yeah. And their neshama should have an aliyah. I'll mention it again on, on Wednesday morning. We have a class on bitachon. Amen. And Hashem should bless them with their neshama should have an aliyah. And sponsorships are available for anybody who's interested. Um, just email me and I'll let you know all about it. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Deborah. Where yeah. is the she's got Looks like she's in a gorgeous place. Where is Nomi Goldman? I want to know. Where are you living? She looks like she's in Israel or Hawaii. <laughs> Florida, maybe? 